Hello, hello, here's Augie again. We are here with the Paranormal Show under the umbrella of Broadcast Team Alpha. And we are going to do something really interesting tonight. I have a guest with me that's got a story. You got to hear all the way to the end because there are pearls in here that will enlighten you to our lives, to our world and the cosmos and who lives in it elsewhere outside of this ball of mud called Earth. Because there is a lot, space is full of life and we're gonna talk about that. I, uh, um, for Broadcast Team Alpha now, we are transmitting on some 40 some different platforms and we are, uh, also connected up with the Conscious Awakening Network, where you find us on uh, just about everywhere out there. And uh, we are at uh, broadcastteamalpha.com. You can get in touch with us if you want to talk to myself and Nori. And also you can find us on YouTube and of course all the other platforms. If you are listening to YouTube right now, then go ahead just subscribe it will be wonderful to see that you did and also if you are listening on any other platform just like us but see if you can come back to uh, youtube because that's where we monitor the chat room and you can participate in the show by asking questions and and uh, you know your opinions are wonderful because we consider that for other shows and stuff we have also created a uh, spiritual think tank where we do some incredible things. There, we bend the laws of physics once in a while, and it seems like, almost like we're creating things from seemingly nothing. But we reach into the quantum existence, find a match for what we want, and pull it into the physical with us. And especially when it comes to healings and abundance and uh, other things that we may want to see happen. And uh, I'm not going to try to talk too much here because I have a guest with me that you really want to listen to. I have Brett Colin Shepherd, And Brett has a long time extraterrestrial contact history. He went through a lot of childhood trauma and an early ET abduction by very friendly and helpful ETs helped him through his trauma. And he started early, really early to study the esoteric sciences and the knowledge. He also had a time anomaly that he may want to get into. It's a little, a little bit outside of the box but i have i understand what he's talking about because i live outside the box so i can see how that works and uh, he later he also started to study nasa prints and anomalies for what he found and uh, both on the moon and mars and uh, to know more you you gotta look at his books you gotta read those because he one of them is are we alone? And uh, that term, are we alone in the universe, becomes a total joke. 
if you read his books because there is ample evidence that we are not and they are walking down the streets with us sometimes and we would never know it and um, another book uh, there's a russian name here Cholkovsky crater uh, it's about nasa and their whistleblower that is talking about what is actually on the moon and Brett also formed the Lunar Anomaly Research Society. And you go to, to Facebook and you can see a lot of the pictures and stuff that they have come up with. And uh, there's some incredible information there. And uh, that is what NASA is covering up. And it's getting to the point anymore. They just can't cover it up because there's too much of it. So uh, without me talking anymore, we want to hear from Brett. Welcome to the show, Brett. Oh, thank you. It's uh, it's nice to be on here with you. Yeah. Um, oh, my yeah. gosh. I, where I, to start, right? Yeah. Before we even get into much, I want to say something. You know, I don't really understand why people are running around and asking for disclosure. It has already been done by the government, by NASA, by the Russian Space Agency, by the Russian Navy, and by the Russian president himself on live TV in Russia. One of them is, I'm going to read this because it's got to be said right. I have a quote here. There was, um, disclosure was actually done several years ago by uh, Medvedev and also by Joseph F. Bloomridge, a leading engineer at Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. He studied the anomalies of what's going on on the moon, the movement, the, the lights that is moving around. There are clouds out there and there are explosions on the ground there is buildings structures he studied that for 18 months and he came out with a statement he said the moon and earth are and have been visited on a regular basis by extraterrestrial beings now that is powerful coming from nasa but nobody talks about it so mm -hmm. i want to just that statement alone is going to support what you're going to hear in this hour from uh, Brett. What do you oh, think? Thank you. Think about that one. Yeah, thanks for that introduction. And, and absolutely, we have been visited as long as Earth has been here. Yeah. As from what I know, you know, um, and and yes, our our government had um, our governments, you know, have have had a, a certain socioeconomic agenda, um, certain religious agendas um, to keep the structure intact. And the way I it, it was explained to me by a, a CIA agent at one of my conferences, uh, he came up to me and said, "We have families too." and we have to support our families. So it is about socioeconomics. It is about that yeah. particular agenda to keep that a mystery. Um, what was interesting is the last time they met in Congress and, and during a disclosure, so to speak, 
um, one of the guys said that that the um, ETs were a threat because of their technology and capabilities, etc. But you know, it it's only a vague threat because it's they've always had that technology, and before that, um, Dr. Thornton Page also gave an interview and said that they were not a threat because if they were, they would have already taken care of us. Yeah. They, they wouldn't be clicking off our nuclear capabilities. The ETs have been spotted all around nuclear plants and nuclear facilities and um, where there's rockets or whatever, and they've been disabling them. So this whole idea of there could be a nuclear war is actual fiction because all of those things have been disabled by extraterrestrials. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Yeah, there, um, there's another one too that uh, for the listeners out there can actually go and uh, research on your own. It is simple to do. There mm -hmm. is this NASA document and uh, it was classified for years. I think they had to release it after 20 years so you can actually get it now go on the on the some don't try not to get google because they are censoring a lot at any other platform you can do research go and look up the uh, document called chronological catalog of lunar events that was compiled by nasa and they have mm -hmm. some 60 different anomalous happenings on the moon that was recorded all the way back to Haley 300 years ago when they came up, well, not quite 300, when they came up with a telescope. He saw moving lights on the moon. He saw stuff happening up there. And it was recorded for hundreds of years. And that is listed in that document. You can read about what's going on on the moon. So that is chronological catalog of lunar events just go look for that one and you have an eyeful reading it i'm sorry i just had to say that yeah that's wonderful and it's true you know that's a good thing to go look up um there, there's there is an, an amazing amount of material it depends on how deep you want to go into that mm -hmm. um there it, the reason why I, I started the Lunar Anomaly Research Society is it was for more artistic reasons, believe it or not. I wasn't looking for um, bases on the moon or aliens or any of that kind of thing, even though that's real as well. You know, um, what what my interest was is um, when when I was 15 years old, a lady from Stanford Research Institute came into my classroom and her name was Amina Zarita. And she showed me pictures that were very odd. They were close-ups of moon images and Mars images. And she showed them to me like we show each other anomalies from Mars and on the moon. Um, and she asked me what I see and I saw I saw lady naked ladies. I saw um, cartoon characters doing odd things. I I, I saw different, um, very psychosexual kind of things on in these images, and I never forgot them. 
But 40 years later, I didn't know where they came from either at the time when I was 15. But 40 years later, I was looking at these lunar images and I realized that I have a photographic memory because I can see that that is exactly what she showed me in the classroom. So when I zoomed in on some of these moon images, I saw the same things, the same images that she must have spent hours showing me in a classroom. And I don't know if this was a time problem or what, how they did that. Because when I was let out, it was just the regular time. It wasn't dark out or anything. Regular time at school. So she showed me these all within an hour during a very displaced time period. So I, I saw hundreds of images and I remember all of them. That's but um, 40 years later, I actually found them in the Mars images and the moon images and in the Hubble telescope images. That's so they were subliminal advertising almost. Yeah, it's, you know, um, Hoagland, um, when he discovered uh, the face on Mars and all of that, you mentioned Hoagland, um, a word was created just for Hoagland and it was called pareidolia. But hmm. there are older words for that. There's hierophany, you know, um, inspired by the divine, etc. That, um, that that Da Vinci talked about way back when. Yeah. But uh, these these artistic anomalies are how they communicate with our world. Yeah. We see these in the clouds, in the trees, in a stain on the wall. We see this all the time, but we don't realize that 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 is actually interdimensional communication. And it's psycho. Um, Hmm. It, it has a it has a psychological effect. You, you'll you'll actually dream about these images that you've seen in your ceiling or in a in, in a pattern or in a, in a stain or in the trees. You'll see this in your dreams and it'll be real. Yeah. You know, it'll be like real. So I was fascinated by that and how our brains work, you know, with the, these things because I wanted to communicate with them. Yeah. And uh, these uh, psychological effects from these images that only your subconscious mind mostly will see, mm -hmm. that makes you accept things, it makes you like things, it makes mm -hmm. you drawn to it, and uh, they do it on TV and advertisements and stuff so that they will you know, make you buy things that you probably don't even need or can't afford half the time. Mm -hmm. so, so in those images, those may have been, I don't know, maybe, well, they obviously was placed there by someone, maybe for a purpose that we should accept them, the images as they are, and yeah. like them more and not question things. Yeah, I believe that's true. Um, they, all of the images were created in space. Mm -hmm. They weren't created on Earth. You know, um, th this was data that was, that was um, collected in space. And a lot of the original material, anyway, the, you know, when, when you're in court, you have to prove provenance where something comes from. Yeah. Well, they, NASA can't do that because everything was destroyed in space. They only collected the data that came to Earth, you know. Um, so there's a problem. You know, all of these were digital. That's why I called my book Digital Moon, because it was about that. Yeah. 
um, these these images. Um, oh, there's a lot of room for extraterrestrial interference, and also, you know, the if you believe that there are dimensional gates in the sun, etc., because the sunlight, which is light, um, it goes through all dimensions. And it's a it's a vehicle and a way for extraterrestrials to be able to communicate with us, you know, through imagery. Um, every time you take a picture, even on Earth, of your loved one or your dog, um, you you can see things in the image that you're not supposed to see, um, because society says you're not supposed to see that. You'll be crazy. Yeah, and uh, here's one too to see things that you're not supposed to see. For those mm -hmm. out there that is interested in seeing UFOs, there is a right. way you can do that every time you go outside. And here's how. Get your hands on a fourth generation night vision goggles. Go out at daytime, you don't see anything. There's too much light. Go out at night, point it into the sky, and you will see ships flying back and forth triangular ones round ones long ones cigars and just points of lights moving every there's a traffic jam up there in the yeah. higher light specter slightly above what we can normally see with our eyes because those generation fourth generation night vision goggles they see higher up into the light specter than we do so you will be able to see it Try it. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Now, what do you think the actual moon is? Well, uh, there there's a there's been a lot of theories, but you're asking me. Yeah. You know, um, I I believe that it, it was a part um, of a an explosion. You know. I don't know if it was a, an old planet or something, but an explosion of a star or something like that, that creates our asteroid belt and other things. But I think it was a bigger chunk of asteroid belt material. And, you know, it, it, it's also, you know, those planets, all the planets out there have the same, um, they have some unique properties, but um, mostly, um, Earth and the moon and all of the planets, they share the same substances, you know, the same uh, minerals, the same um, type of material. Yeah. There's, um, so there's additional things on the moon, though, like. Titan. Yeah, it, I, I believe that that um, the moon is is. Um, was was later somewhat placed there. It was dragged from the asteroid belt, placed in our environment, and it, it's called the Lagrange points, where the electromagnetics hold it in place, um, so so that it does you know its normal cycle. But the moon doesn't rotate, mm -hmm. um, as far as the POV from the Earth. You know, it doesn't rotate. Um, it just it stays that way, and um, the the illusion is is it rotates around the sun, you know, not the Earth. So the Earth and the Moon are rotating around the sun, and it's creates that illusion, you know. But 
mostly it's just facing us as, yep. all the time. Yeah. And, um, it, it wibbles a little bit because it's sort of egg-shaped. A lot of people don't know that. It's a little bit egg-shaped. It's not completely round. And it's because of the gravitational pull, et cetera, and the electromagnetics that pull it. Um, so the, the backside of the moon, you know, is, is a lot farther than people think. You know, it's not like, oh, it's a round ball and you just go to the backside. Um, the, the terminator, what we see as the terminator is sort of the sides of the egg. So when we look straight at an egg, it looks round. Yeah. And of course it's, you know, going all the way back. And the, the reason why there's a lot of bases on the, the far side of the moon is because it's a good study place where you could study the rest of, you know, Mars or especially during an occultation or something like that. Um, you, it's also a platform to go to another place. Um, so, so you have the, a lot of activity on the backside of the moon. Um, that I'm sorry to say that you know, NASA hasn't shown that completely, but there's a lot of things going on. Ingo Swan, um, he was a he was a psychic and also an artist, and he's sort of like me. It's almost the same kind of thing, but he could remote view. He was remote viewing the backside of the moon. And saw big giant structures, you know, that that looked like giant cranes, etc. So they're still building, you know, they're still doing that from the '60s. Um, there then, are ET bases up there, and and co-op bases, and there there's some that are just our bases, but you know, that not not a big differentiation up there. Um, it's sort of an intergalactic community. Yes, and on the back side also there are NASA prints that uh, first-hand prints that show lights on the back uh, mm -hmm. uh, the other side of the moon uh, when mm -hmm. they flew around it and they took those pictures. There was dark on the back side, but they could see lights, straight lines, straight angle lights, mm -hmm. kind of like a small city in one area, and. Nature don't do stuff like that. So, uh, and then again in no, 1969, the NASA just dumped the uh, the lunar the the orbiter. I guess they dumped that on the moon, and it rang as a bell for several hours afterwards. It wouldn't do mm -hmm. that. It was a big cavern inside. Yeah, I believe it's porous and has caverns. It's almost hollow. It's like the Earth. Um, has a lot of pictures and it's like a sponge has a lot of different things going on like that. I, I don't want to discount um, anyone's research in the hollow moon or hollow earth theory or um, anything like that, but I think they're both right. I think there's, you have a sort of porous cave-like exterior and maybe a, a hollow-ish center, you know, but it's, I think it's interdimensionally hollow, not physically hollow, you know, something like that. So I think there's a there's a lot of different um, alien structures that are inside the moon, yeah, as well. Now you have a personal experience with the moon. Mm -hmm. You talk a little bit about what you've seen there. Um, well, when I was when I was very young, 
um, I, I, was, I had an out-of-body experience during a trauma. Um, they didn't want me to feel what was actually going on, and I really don't want to describe it. But they took me out of my body, and um, they took me into the moon like a dream. Um, I thought it was a dream anyway. I was little. But it felt very real, you know, um, it was a, the, the ship we were in was clearer. So there was no, you couldn't see anything but stars and everything while we were traveling. Um, it was very strange. And, and they said, you know, you, you could just think of something if you want to sit and you'll, you, you'll sit, you know. So things were working differently in that dimension than they do normally. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really fighting that that I have to write that as fiction because it to me is like a dream, but not. You know, and I don't want to say that it's total fiction because it, to me it was very real. It was an experience. You know, um. So anyway, when we got to the moon, it, these these creatures or whatever they were they were very small in stature, and they had faces like like karma delate type clownish faces that covered their faces and their 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 faces looked humanish you know um cuz they admire us so much they they think we're great they're we're entertaining to them we're fun um they they love to watch us our struggles and our happiness and our they they love all of it they love to see everything the pain is even fun to them everything is different in their dimension and it's like a mirror you know um but these creatures are, are very likable and very friendly but very sad you know because they have in their own lives um things are missing that that we enjoy we enjoy our senses and they they don't enjoy too much senses in their world um everything that they create is from the mind from a thought form you know and so they just think of something and it it's a creation process and how sad it is for us that we forget that we do that that we just create something from our thought from our mind and maybe it takes a long time maybe it's a butterfly effect but eventually it comes together it happens for humanity and you know we, we go through a lot of struggles and a lot of weird things and some they try to be entertaining but sometimes it just gets old you know yeah but we're we're on the right track we're going toward um a, a sort of an evolution and it's not entirely technological technologically based or something like that because you know real actual technology is closer to nature than it is some bubbles that you create um we were given certain things that were part of uh their nature the et nature um transistors and things that made our computers work velcro you know just different weird ideas like that but it changed our lives um and since you know our government admitted that roswell was real all of that is real as well yeah um so the these things are real we we got um technology and we reversed engineered some technology but not probably very well um but it, it's interesting 
that they're now coming out with these things. So that's disclosure, sure, but it, it ends with a thud because we already know that ETs exist and, and spaceships exist. Mm -hmm. Extraterrestrials from, from the vast amount of not only experiences, but evidence. We already know as human beings, as a culture, though we may laugh at it because it's not part of our consensus yet. It's it's very real. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's not going to be a big surprise. And the truth is going to end with a thud. It's not going to be a big deal. We already know that that exists. What we are really concerned about to move ahead as as a human race is uh, our socioeconomic problems, our uh, other sort of problems. We should all be prospering. There shouldn't be a thing called capitalism or communism or something where a, a few people control everybody else. You know, we, we should all be prospering in some way if we can find a way to do that. You know, um, there there are so many things that that human beings are capable of and the ETs know it and they're waiting for us to take those steps. Um, we, we started taking steps back during the space race and all of that but we still needed their help to go to the moon if people think that they went to the moon in that tin can they are sadly mistaken there are there are micrometeors and all kinds of things that would take effect um that would beat that thing into a pulp you know and and make it implode so the extraterrestrials according to um william Tompkins, um he said that that while he was working, you know, for for NASA, he was contracted out to do their their radio signals and their television video stuff in space. And what he was watching on the monitor was different than what the public saw as far as the moon landings and all of that. What he was seeing was the extraterrestrial giant ships that were coming in and putting uh a cloaking beam around the ship so that we wouldn't hurt ourselves. They actually cared about what, our lives, you know? So, so they showed us the moon in that way. They took us to the moon in that little encapsulated beam of, um, it's like a gravity beam or something to protect or shield, and, you know, um, slightly visible, but not, you know? So they took us to the moon set us down on the moon and everything else and they were able to to walk around and within that little area that was confined in that um field you know that that um shield or whatever and he, he said that they saw um giant ships lined up on the edge of the craters yep. of these these people um that were on the moon that were not from Earth, um, that were helping us. And he's got, if you're interested, he's written a book um, about extraterrestrials and his time with the, the Nordic women that were working with him at NASA um, that were not from Earth. And, and I met one of those women. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe I did. Her name was Zino. She completely disappeared off the face of the earth um, past the 70s. But she taught me how to do artwork when I was 10 years old. 
And it wasn't just teaching me how the technology of doing the art um, or, you know, to draw better or to do shading or anything like that. I was already doing that kind of well myself, you know. Um, what she was saying was draw what you see. And she said that all the way back from the beginning. And this lady was like some kind of genius. Um, she used to put together little micro pieces of puzzles that would cover a whole wall in her house within days. So there, there was something about her that wasn't quite yeah. um, what, what I would call less than or human-ish qualities. But these were very outside the box mm -hmm. kind of qualities that she had. And she taught me a lot. And I'll never forget um, the subtle things that she had taught me that I didn't realize till later that they were actually significant. When I was looking at these moon images and these strange things, um, like cartoons, what's weird about what I'm seeing on the moon is that they're themed. So a whole lunar image is themed like um, it's all clowns and different types of, of aspects of clowns and big ones and tall ones and giant ones and just the most bizarre, you know, way that you would think of clowns. But it also goes into the clown history, you know, the, the Karma de Latte and the little Hercules and all of those aspects of clowns, you know, from history. And you get into things like that and you realize that, you know, that the transvestitism and um, is a type of clown. You know, it, it's it goes all the way back. Um, men dressing on stages women like in shakespeare plays and all of that is part of the the clowning thing so there's that theme and then it'll go into a theme that's all um like old religions you know like hercules and theseus and you know all of all of the ancient greek um and before ancient greek um type of philosophies so and, and the entire image will be graphically oriented and themed to that particular subject. Hmm. So this is more than just looking at Paradalian and getting some kind of graphical information a little at a time. Or I think I see a dog, or I think I see a, a goat, or a bull, or something, yeah. which are all very you know common things. Monkeys, especially, very common. Elephants are very common um, because they're archetypes. They're they're actually visual archetypes. So you see a lot of things like that in the strangest ways. A lot of them are very funny, yeah. um, but it paints a picture and you see things that you wouldn't normally see. We think about the, like the Greek history and you know, you go into Homer and the Iliad and all of that. Those are all really cool stories that, that lead into the, the Atlantean thing, which you know, yeah. Herodotus talked about um, never mentioned that Atl Atlantis or something was in the Atlantic Ocean or something. That was a Plato idea. But Herodotus said that, that the Black Sea area was where their people came from. Scythia and the Black Sea, Caucasus Mountains, etc. So that, that was interesting to me that, that Atlantis could be part of the Black Sea. So I don't know. I, I'm going off on that. Yeah, yeah. But For you, a reason, by the way. 
You mentioned um, about going to the moon, and I totally agree they did not go to the moon by themselves in that tin can. It is theoretically impossible. Yeah, that's ridiculous. The radiation outside of our uh, Earth magnetic field is so strong from the sun. It, it, they couldn't really, yeah, they could live out there for a little bit, but uh, they would be damaged very, very soon in their genetics. Have you ever taken a spoon and put it in the microwave and turned the knob to the right? That thing just explodes in there. That is what would happen to that little tin can outside of our magnetic field. Right. I don't I don't believe that. Um, I don't even believe that our astronauts went on that trip that the extraterrestrials took. Yeah, I, I think it was special forces, um, naval intelligence, etc. I don't believe that they would trust um, the rocket jockeys to go to the moon or to go out in space like that. There is only one way they could do it, and that is mm -hmm. if they were within a magnetic field that shielded them from the outside radiation. Which yeah. they were, yeah. Onabu would do that because it had that field around it. Yes. Uh, one, I don't know about, uh, probably, but the two and the three did. Yeah. But on the other hand, if there was another ship next to them that could encompass them, that could also help, but they did have some help. If Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all the way, they, they, they were going to the moon all the way back in the Eisenhower era, way yeah. before our moon, our moon landings or even before Lunar Orbiter. You know, they they were already there. Mm -hmm. um, so they were used to the, they were, they knew and were used to the idea of the extraterrestrials helping them get there. They already knew that. And they, there was a technology exchanges, et cetera. The Germans, the Nazi Germans were the first ones that went to the moon. And there mm -hmm. actually, uh, there is some writing about that in German. And uh, they talk about having an expedition to the moon. And what they found up there was a building, I believe it is in the Schrodinger crater. The building mm -hmm. that looked like a, it's an old dilapidated building, but it was built as a swastika. And the Germans came and they fell in love with that thing. So they started rebuilding part of it. And yeah, yeah, the, the ancient structure that was up there that you're talking about was, was actually built by ancient moonlings, um, people that were already on the moon a long time ago and had a civilization there. There is gazillions of, of old, decrepit walls and buildings just like Earth, you know, the, of civilizations of the past. And this this symbol, you know, didn't mean Nazis or anything like that. It was a sun symbol. Um, you know, because it was clearly um, where the sun comes around in a particular light and et cetera. Yeah. Um, now, th that building, uh, Hitler did something to the swastika. He reversed it. Right. And that was not a good thing. I bet if he things could have turned out different, maybe if he kept it like the there's something about the um the sacred geometry of that swastika yeah 
the the yeah, black sun, etc. Yeah. I think he got the negative effect off of it. But I also, mm -hmm. when I did the research for one of my books, I found that at one time there, uh, there's uh, writings coming out of India some nine thousand years ago saying there were two moons at one time. One of them was slightly blue, blue air or blue, and the other one was the one that we have. And there mm -hmm. also was a time before the moon. So it appears to me like the moon we are looking at at night was flown in and parked in a perfect circle, which Absolutely. is impossible to get that it would be one in billions in order for that to happen by accident. It had to be parked. Yeah, that's an early, you know, um, very natural technology. Yeah very natural um that's just where it belonged basically um there, there there's also um on earth there's another moon that has an elliptical orbit that that is our actual true moon um from earth and um it's named after a um a gaelic tribe and i believe scotland um uh what is Crutane. It's oh. named Crutane, hmm. and um, that that is our true one of our true moons. That moon right there is it looks like a big asteroid. I read about that. Yeah, it's a lot smaller, but it is it's also very small. Yeah, further out, but uh, there is another one. That's that's I read about that. That's a that's there's a another one. Yeah, of course. But yeah, that's always fascinating to me. I love history. I love the ancient history and going beyond that, going beyond history and um, wondering what things were like, you know. Mm -hmm. I've got a, I've got a picture of an old ancient structure on the moon. It's an old wall. And it's in a it's it's in a very geometrical pattern. And it, the, the shot was taken by a, Apollo 12. Where, where can people go and see those images that you have? Um, um, they, they can go on archive.org. Um, there, there's some there. I have um, Ken Johnston's entire catalog of images that were actually printed in the 70s, or I'm sorry, in the 60s. And these are all lunar images and space images. Um, they, they, they're under um, Dr. Ken Johnston. Or Ken Johnston. Is that on the YouTube or is it? Um, that that is archive.org. Oh, okay. And it's on the internet. Um, you can just Google archive.org Ken Johnston, with a ST, you know Johnston. Okay. And you know, you'll you'll find his library of things on there that I put on there. Um, he still has them in his house. All of these images. Um, they're wonderful, and they're very. Some of them are crystal clear. Mm -hmm. That that were posi negatives of when they actually took pictures in their little space bubble up on the moon. They were taking pictures, and what was interesting, you know, pe people say, "Well, you, it's impossible. You can't see stars, or you can't see anything." You can in these images. You, there, there are things that are very noticeable that are the same sun um, angle as on the ground, et cetera. And there's things flying in these images. 
Mm-hmm. So they're they're really worth going to look at. They're wonderful. Um, that's one of them. Um, um, Hoagland actually, you know, saw a lot of these images too early on, and he he was he was studying them um, with a guy from the University of Arizona. And I don't want to say anything about that, but yeah. Um, slightly misrepresented you know um i think they should have been looked at a little bit harder i definitely looked at them very hard um i studied the the pixels and everything mm-hmm. of how they should be and how how they're supposed to be on an on, a, on an apollo 15 image as opposed to an apollo um 12 image you know so i i even studied the pixels of the different technologies or the different cameras so you know you've got you've got your moyer camera and your hasselblad and all that um you also have a nikon camera that was that was taking pictures up there and a lot of people don't know that but there's a a lot of different types of cameras that were taken up there and used um nikon comes to mind but nikon when you take a picture the pixels are a little bit fuzzy anyway they're very pixelated kind of it's kind of like that with that camera um so yeah a lot of a lot of those pictures were taken with an icon well i uh it's fascinating there's an awful lot of pictures and that's a prince coming from the moon and uh mm-hmm. there's one of them uh i've been digging around in the archives of uh, nasa for a long time and i have a lot of the prints I mean, mm-hmm. the, the first-hand prints that came right off of the, uh, off of the. Uh, however, they took the pictures from the moon, but yeah. one of them is a two-mile-long cigar-shaped ship floating across the surface of the moon, throwing a shadow oh. around. It's very. I remember cool. that. And uh, in fact, if you go to broadcastteamalpha.com, go into picture gallery, you will find those pictures. And uh, I'm sure that Ted Johnson has it too. Yeah, he he has those. Um, it, one, you know, that NASA's official story, or back then when they weren't telling the truth, is that that was some kind of tether, and it was just the shadow from the tether of their ship that was floating by. If you remember that, right? Yeah, I know. Um, the, the... Yeah, they 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 NASA had put together. Um, all kinds of people to debunk everything to all kinds of skeptics, et cetera, that, that formed an organization called SciScop. Um, horrible organization. I, I don't even know how they could sleep at night, literally, you know, they lie so much about everything. But um, I had I had one of those skeptics on me all the time when I was studying the lunar images and it, it, um, I'm not even gonna mention his name. So you're welcome. I'm not going to even say his name. Yeah. But he he was harassing me and Ken Johnston for a long time. And um but he was right up there. He had, he had studied under um uh, class and all of the other old skeptics, you know. Um Dr. Thornton Page, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know. So he had studied under all those people who were major who who were literally assigned to debunk certain things you know so that that's fun 
the moon has been misrepresented more than probably anything that NASA has ever done. And that yes. I have pictures, NASA prints, of green vegetation in bottom of two craters. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, when you look at things like this, and you look at the structures, you look at the buildings, there's also a guy in Canada, uh, Bruce Schwartz, I'm sure you know him. He yeah. had Bruce Sees All on uh, YouTube, and he's got a telescope that is so big I can crawl inside of it. When he uh, aimed that at the moon and just keep turning the knob, you see huge buildings, mile-long, square-cornered buildings. Oh, yeah. And this is something that cannot be explained away. It is there, and we see it. So what? The, it getting to the point where NASA now is just every time they open their mouth, you have to turn it around and believe exactly the opposite of what they're saying, and then you got yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, first of all, they they were um, fifty miles above the moon, and they were taking pictures. Why are they fuzzy? Yeah. And when we're we're getting clearer pictures from a telescope from Earth. So, you know, I keep telling skeptics that and they keep saying, well, it's because of the type of camera they used and they didn't really have the technology back then. They did. They absolutely did. They had the technology to take crystal clear pictures. Um, Donna Hare showed me one of those images that were crystal clear that they took when they were, you know, popping around and Apollo 12 or whatever. And it was absolutely very clear. You know, you could see everything in detail. So um, so that's not true. You know, they, they, what they did was they um, lowered the resolution. They put the f-stop to infinity to make everything fuzzy in the background, especially in the Hasselblad. All you have to do is take a picture of a shoe or something the shoestrings that lead in the back or whatever are going to be fuzzy. The shoes up close would be crystal clear. So it depends if you set your f-stop to infinity, that happens, you know, yeah. <laughs> with the Hasselblad in particular. Um, but things are fuzzy in the background and that's on purpose. They could have made that perfectly clear. And it just depends on where their, you know, where their focal point is and where they're aiming. But, um, so the photography skepticism is nonsense. You know, um, there there are glimpses and ways to actually take pictures of stars with filters, etc. Um, so that that's nonsense as well. Yeah. And they they used the the best filters back then. You know, to to literally get pictures of what was in the lunar atmosphere. It was on purpose. They they were studying asteroids and everything. They weren't just studying the moon you know, per se. Yeah, and uh, another thing too is that there is uh, also uh, on our website, we have pictures of the horizon of the moon that show a little bit of an atmosphere. It's a colored atmosphere across it because the moon has an atmosphere. You can actually breathe up there. It is not as much as ours. It's more like maybe uh, 16 to 20,000 feet of altitude here on Earth. And that's okay. We can live in that if we get used to it. But look at the people that live in the Himalayas. There are people living mm -hmm. at 16,000 feet all their life. 
and they're fine. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and then when you look at the moon, the green grass, the atmosphere, there is millions of people living up there. And I am saying that as a statement because so far I've been talking about what NASA has been doing, but there is another way to find out what there is up there, and that is to become an astral traveler. Go there, yeah. have a look. They may not like you being there, but get in, have a look, and get out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, you know, um, they've opened that up a little bit for people that want to do that. Um, they, they're not so stringent. They're not going to come after you and psychologically damage your brain or anything. That, you know, that we, we used to have sentinels like that that would come in and stop you from even dreaming about that. You know, um, we, we are allowed to do that. You can, you can practice remote viewing. There's different study guides on that on the internet um it's very simple and it and it's accurate um there there's it's it's not a mystical thing to do remote viewing is a natural human ability yeah and it's it's there's no trick to it um if you if you want to project and sense something or see something off into a distance or something that's going on in another part of the world all you have to do is use your imagination you know, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of science in that. And if you use your imagination, you're actually getting a lot of clues and a lot of downloads on on exactly what's going on in that little area. And the longer you stay there, the more information you get. So you can do that with the moon as well, just like you're saying. Yeah. And you can astro travel. Um, super conscious astro traveling. Um, it, it, remote viewing, it, it's um similar you know somewhat, but I, somewhat similar and it is not that hard to learn you it is not yeah. yeah but it just takes a little bit of practice and and belief in it you know <clears throat> doesn't do much good if you're a skeptic and you say well this isn't gonna work i'll just you know I'll, okay fine cool what do i do do i close my eyes do i meditate okay i'll just lay down and and i'll just think of the moon is that what you want me to do you know that's probably not going to work with someone that's highly skeptical or someone that doesn't want to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing, too, that once you get out of the body, it's a totally different environment. There is other entities out there. There's things out there. Try not to associate because they are very they can attach themselves to you. So th there is tricks to it that you got to know because you are in a there totally are. different environment. There are you're you're in like a mirror world, you know, and and it's you're going to see things that that don't make any sense to you until later. Yeah. But, um, is, but, you know, uh, that's it's uh, this is fun to talk about. I uh, gosh, uh, talk a little bit about what's in uh, your book about um, the moon also. Uh, well, I've got a lot of the things that I've said are in my book, you know, and um, various forms um the the story of how i got into looking at lunar images in that is in there the 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 story of the the lady that was showing me pictures from the future when i was 15 years old that's in there i talk about ken johnston a lot because at the time when i was writing the book i was going around and to conferences with ken 
and um, mainly focusing on his work and what he's done in his life and and that because there was a little bit of a um, we felt a little rush on that because he was he was older you know um, and and we wanted to get it all done you know so that he'd have a legacy and all yeah but we have very much respect for that man you know he's he's had to say things during his career that weren't clear there's a lot of different um the complexities with that but i talked about that and some of those complexities i also talked about how um perception plays into all this um when we get light information through our eyes and how it crosses like a mirror yeah. within our brains, you know, and, and it's, it's actually stored, in, you know, in, in certain parts of our brain, depending on what it is, what the information is. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's kind of neat. Um, a lot of people talk about trauma and how, how you're susceptible to having multiple personalities or, or people, evil people, you know, like Mengele or something, you know, being, able to split your personality and create little boxes of different things only to come out with a keyword or something like that yeah um maybe some of that is true i don't know but that's not how my brain works it, it's if it, it, they definitely tried to do that when i was young yeah but it didn't work because of the photographic memory problem yeah i remember everything you know I, there's one more thing that I really wanted to talk about, and I see we're running out of time, but maybe mm -hmm. we can come back to that issue in a future show, and that is sure. the lady over in the Czech Republic. She's become a fairly good friend of mine, Ilona Podraska. She oh, Ilona and Ivana, yeah. Yeah, she's in contact with extraterrestrial beings, and they are dropping things out of the ceiling right on their table. She, there is a funnel that things are coming in, both audible messages on their speaker box, she call it, the, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the speaker in the restaurant, even when the radio was turned off, mm -hmm. the speaker works. And that is a, that is a portal. Yeah, that is a portal. And, and I was, when, when I was helping them um, put their book together, you know, a while back, you, you can mention the name of that. It's got a long title, like all Czechoslovakian or Russian titles. It's long, you know. Yeah. But um, when I was putting their book together, I tried to explain to them, that, you know, that that there are a lot of interdimensional aspects to this in ghosts and extraterrestrials, etc. Um, and and this isn't very strange at all. But one of the one of the strangest things I found about that research is that during the Brill Society in World War II, Maria Orsich, um, you know, in the general world area, um, was actually experiencing a lot of these phenomenons as well. The same thing. They, they also used um, sort of a Ouija type board or a message board, just like the girls did uh, Milona and Ivana, uh, Ivana, I believe, Use a mess, um, number board, letter board, a spirit board, or if you will. Yeah, um, there was also there was also the guys from Gulf Breeze. 
that, that were over in the army over there, they were communication experts and they were using Ouija boards that they were trained to use from the United States at uh, Fort Hood, I believe, or no, it was a, anyway, I'll remember it. But these guys went over there and they actually contacted extraterrestrial spirits, interdimensional spirits through these message boards. Um, so you have three instances in the same part of the world. Of course, there's a portal there. Yeah. Of course there is that there's where, where there's a lot of messages coming through um, physically and interdimensionally psycho psychologically um, all of, all of these different aspects even graphically you know are coming through um, I, I don't know I, I don't remember the girls talking too much about their own dreams etc mm -hmm. but I'll bet they're interesting but they, these girls have been in contact with um, the extraterrestrial Ebioli for uh, from Elijah from from way back yeah, for quite quite the while now. Yeah, the years, and they 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 have they write down more than I could possibly publish. But I got people started with their first book, you know. Yeah. But they write down more than I could possibly imagine to publish. It would be like an encyclopedia of volumes of things, you know. I tell you what, um, let's do another show on this. Can I get you to come back? Yeah, and we'll yeah I, I would love to talk about those too. Yeah, that, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, you helped them put a book together. And let us know where can people find those two books you're talking about? Um, well, um, you can find them on Amazon.com. Um, if you look under um, Czech Girls, um, E-T-E-B-O-L-E, I forget you. And there's Digital Moon, which is also on Amazon. You could Google that by Brett Colin Shepard or Brett C. Shepard. And um, um, if you want to read my book and you just want to read it online, it's it's on internetarchive.org. Um, it's Digital Moon by Brett C. Shepard, and you should land on a page with that. So that part of it's open source. You can read it online if you don't want a real book in your hand. Uh, you know, you so gotta have the real thing. <laughs> you gotta have the real thing. It's a cool book. Yeah, but um, if you just want to read it and get the idea of what I'm talking about, it's out there. You can read it for free. It's okay. That sounds. <laughs> good. Let's uh, get together off the air, and we'll find another date because, folks, you need to hear what. Yeah, the uh, Czech Republic girls are doing. There is message in there. There is science in there, and and scientists finding that yeah, big doggone, there's something to this science that these uneducated girls are coming up with from the message through the 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 portal and the tunnel. Yeah, I, I I will help as much as I possibly can. They're having a language problem, you know, getting the information out, oh. especially to the English speaking world, you know. Um, but Ilona is getting pretty good at, at putting the subtitles on their videos, etc. Yeah. But I, I think there's a, you know, um, English speaking people sort of lose interest in, if they don't understand the language, you know. So yeah. I'm, I am perfectly happy to help get their information out any way I can. Yeah, That'd be great. Good. All right. That sounds good. Well, we're just out of time. So let's do this again. And the next one's going to be extraterrestrial contact so yeah let's do that and uh, folks uh, 
I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, subscribe if you're on YouTube. It will be here. Then you can get a message when the next video and the show comes out. Don't miss that one. So yeah. Thank you very much, Brett. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you.